You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. Well, how are we doing today? Good, good on Good Friday. Good Friday. Oh, almost fell off there. Do you remember your first kiss? I do. I was in grade two with my first kiss. Started young, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> what was that comment from the... My mum made an inappropriate comment, I think. David Groth, can we please escort my parents out of the building this morning? Thank you. Thank you. I was in grade two and I was playing that stupid, ridiculous game called Catch and Kiss. And some disgusting little girl grabbed me and kissed me and my life has been a mess since. (laughs) Can you remember the first time maybe holding hands with your partner? Man, that was a heart-fluttering day, remember that? You know, you had to get the technique right, you had to get the arm swing the right, swinging with theirs and then do an arm bump first, you know, and then... Then do the extended arm, bump and grab the hand. That was, that was good. I wonder, do you remember who said, I love you first in your relationship? You know, because really, whoever said, I love you first, they're the real heroes, I think, of your relationship. Because saying, I love you first is the hardest thing to do. Because the situation is this, the person that says, I love you first, the other person could easily have replied with something like, Oh, thanks. <laughs> you know, or I love you. Really? <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> maybe um, I love you. Oh, I thought we were just friends, you know. <laughs> or when I first met my wife, it was I love you. And she said, but we've just met. You know, <laughs> that was an awkward day for us. <laughs> and uh, whoever says I love you first is taking all the risk because love by definition is risky. To love is to put your heart into somebody else's hands who has free will and await their decision on what they might do. To love is to risk. In the book of Romans, it says this, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You need to know this morning that at the very core of who God is, Good Friday is about him saying to you, I love you. And regardless of what your reply might have been right now or may have been in the past, Jesus still went to the cross so that God could reach out to you. Good Friday is about God taking a risk. That's what Good Friday is all about. And so this morning I want to share just a quick thought around the risk that Jesus took to create space for us to respond when God took the risk to say to us, I love you. We're continuing a series actually in the book of Hebrews, looking at Jesus through the lens of the writer. And we've looked at Jesus is better. He's a better message, a better revelation, a better rest. Last week we looked at Jesus being a better covenant. And you can get that all on our podcast. This morning I want to look at Jesus is a better sacrifice. Or another way to put it this morning, Jesus is a better risk. And I want to show you in Hebrews 9, 
uh, something this morning. We're just going to unpack something a little bit and then apply it to us today. And so if you want to get out your Bibles we're gonna, or your phones, whatever, we're going to get out Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 and 12. It's on the screen. You can follow with me. It says this. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. Last week we talked about this. What is the high priest and what does the high priest do? We looked at this. Jesus is now our high priest. Check this out. He has entered that greater and more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. There's three things that I want to unpack for us this morning and then apply to our situation right now. The first thing that I want to look at is the tabernacle. What is that, right? We read this word tabernacle. What does that mean, right? Jesus is now a high priest and he's gone into this more perfect heavenly tabernacle. What is that saying to us? Secondly, it says this, with his own blood, right? So Jesus gave his life for something. We're going to look at that. What does it say when it says with his own blood? And then we're going to finish off by when it says here that he secured our redemption. We're going to look at that word redemption. What does it mean to be redeemed? So we're going to check out the tabernacle. We're going to look at why Jesus gave his blood. And we're going to look at the word redemption. What does this mean for us right now? How does this point to the greatest love story ever told. How do these three words connect with God saying, I love you today and risking his son just so some might say yes? We're gonna look at that this morning. Are you ready? Fantastic, I'm pumped. It's good. The tabernacle, okay, this is so cool. The tabernacle was all about where you stood with God, right? The tabernacle um, is first mentioned in the book of Exodus. And it was the portable sanctuary that the Israelites would carry around with them in the wilderness when they were freed from slavery in Egypt. The word tabernacle comes from the Hebrew word mishkan. Everyone say mishkan. It means this. It means to dwell or the dwelling place of God. And so the Israelites would carry this around wherever they went. And what they thought it was, what they saw it as, was that this was the holy place, this was the tabernacle, this was the dwelling place of God. This was the holy place that God would dwell on earth. It was the place where the divine met the earthly realm. It was the site of heaven on earth. This was the place in Exodus where it says that the Lord would meet with Moses face to face as one would meet with a friend. The tabernacle was where humankind could meet with God and God would meet with the people. Soon what developed though, after Moses had died, was a hierarchical system was put in place that facilitated the meeting between God and man to be facilitated by one man from one tribe once a year. And so this connection with God now was through one person once a year, right? Could you imagine that for a moment? Could you imagine only seeing your spouse one time once a year? And someone at the back pastor is going, oh, that would be good, right? <laughs> I think my wife was nodding going, oh, hang on a minute, that might be good. <laughs> well, you can't, I'm staying, right? <laughs> I just laid the law down. 
if that's right with you, can I stay? Thanks, awesome. Just making sure, right? Because, you know, in my household, I wear the pants. That cat puts that for me, right? So that's how it works. (laughs) And this is now what's happening, right, with the Israelites. Could you imagine only seeing your spouse once a year, right? You would start with questions like, do they love me? You would start asking those questions. You would start asking things like, you know, I don't know them anymore. You know, I don't really know them. Um, what does my partner want from me? Um, are we still on talking terms? Right? If you're only seeing each other once a year, that's kind of what would happen in the relationship. And this exact thing was the place that the Israelites found themselves in. At one moment in time, they had this marriage ceremony with God on Mount Moriah, right, in the wilderness. And they see God as this relational God. But now all of a sudden, God is now, I can only see God through this one guy who has to be from this one tribe only one time a year. And the Israelites very soon didn't really know, again, where they stood with God. Because only one guy, one time gets to go in there and meet with God. And so you've got all the people not knowing really where they stand with God. Does God really love me? How can I have a relationship with God? What does God want for my life? I'm not too sure. I've got to wait nine months before that one guy goes back into the tent of meeting. This was the tabernacle. But in Hebrews 9, we, we, we read this, it says that he, being Jesus, has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven. Now remember, tabernacle just simply means to dwell, right? It's the dwelling place of God. And so Jesus has gone to this more greater tabernacle. Check this in Ephesians 2, 6, it says this. For he raised us from the dead, God, raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him, that being Jesus, in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Which means this, that through Christ now, we get to enter into the tabernacle of God. That's what this means. And so in the scripture, when we see that Jesus has now gone to this more perfect tabernacle, simply the dwelling place of God. In Ephesians, it says, right, that through Christ, we now go with Christ into that heavenly realm. It means this, that Jesus is a better sacrifice because now we don't have to wait just for the pastor to tell me what God says. We don't have to wait once a year for some special guy to meet with God. What it means is this, that right now at any moment, at any time in the day, you can meet with God. Because you're raised with Jesus. (laughs) And he's gone to that tabernacle. And we can go to that dwelling place of God with him. That's why Jesus is a better sacrifice. In fact, God goes further. Jesus says this in the book of John. Jesus says, you, in fact, Jesus says, you didn't choose me. I chose you, right? And so once again, right, God is making the first move. God and Jesus is taking all the risk. You need to know this morning that you're not the only player on your team. You need to know today that Jesus chose you. You need to know this morning that Jesus chose you. He risked it all just so he could have a moment with 
you. And it means this, that no longer do I have to live in my circumstance, but now I can live in his circumstances. What that means is this, that I don't now have to live in my pain, I can now live in his victory. It means this, that I don't have to live in my shortcomings, but I can live in his strength. What that means for you this morning is that you don't need to try and choose what you think is the best way now. What it means is this, that when you say yes to Jesus, you got somebody who is on your team, who is meeting with God and it means that you can meet with God and you can find out what God wants for your life. Isn't that good news this morning? (laughs) You need to know that whatever circumstances you find yourself in, where you feel like maybe you're tied up or you feel like life has got you hiding or you feel like life has got you shipwrecked, busted and broken, you need to know this morning that through Jesus, you can have wholeness. That through Jesus, you can have life. That through Jesus, you can be safe. That through Jesus, you can be secure. And that all happens because you get to connect with God yourself. You don't need to wait for anyone. In fact, the only person that you need to wait for is yourself. Because you can connect with God right here, right now. Because you are in the tabernacle. Paul actually goes further and says, actually, uh, uh, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit and now the, your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. So if we want to go a little bit more deeper theologically, it, God is in you. And now all you have to do is just get on your knees and pray. And in that moment, bended knees equals opportunities, Right? At any moment, you can just pray to God. You can read your Bible. You can talk to another Christian. You can come to church. You can listen to one of our podcasts. At any moment, you can connect with God and he can speak into your heart and in his mind. Just by saying yes to God. Just by saying yes to Jesus. So that's what the tabernacle is. It's simply God's dwelling place. And you need to know that when you say yes to Jesus, God's dwelling place, his tabernacle is now in you. How cool is that? How cool is that? So with love and free will comes sacrifice, right? For God to offer humankind, um, for, sorry, for God to offer love to humankind, he had to give us free will, okay? God had to sacrifice control of humanity in order to qualify his love. And it's the same with us, right? To love is the sacrifice. We're going to talk about his blood right now. Why did Jesus have to die, right? Well, to love is the sacrifice. I remember when we um, had our first kid, Malachi, who's sitting right there. Uh, well, I didn't have him. Cat had him. Um, I just stood and watched um, while eating Vegemite sandwiches and drinking hot chocolate. That was a good day for me. It was easy. Although it did hurt. She squeezed when I had my ring on. She squeezed my hand. Ah, well, that hurt. Like it's, it was bad. It was bad. If, yeah, if you're a guy and your girl's gone, take your ring off. Like, oh, man. Ow. Anyway, when we had our first kid, um, I remember we took him home, whatever, because that's what you do. You don't leave him at the hospital. You take them home. And uh, after a few nights of you know, getting up and down, I'm a very light sleeper, so I wake up. So every time that cat had to wake up, I was awake and... It's like torture having children, <laughs> you know, because you're constantly awake, you don't sleep, you're always angry, you're always on edge. And I remember Kat coming in one night and saying, are you all right? And I just, I just said this, as I was crying, I said, I miss sleep. 
So I said to her, you know, and uh, here's the thing, to love is to sacrifice. I had to sacrifice my sleep, right? To have someone else come into my life and for me to love them. I remember getting married. Uh, that was a, an expensive day. Uh, I love getting, I, I remember getting married and, and the sacrifice that I had to give. I remember that at one moment in my life before I was married, I had self-determination on all my decisions. I could decide Tim is playing Xbox now. And no one could say, no, you're not. Right? I remember I could say, Tim is going to have some Maccas now. Right? And no one was going to say, no, you're not. Right? But when I got married... There was, and no longer was I, there was self-determination. Now there's dual determination, right? There's two people making one decision. And so that was the sacrifice for love because I love my wife, right? I allow her to speak into my world. And so there is that sacrifice. To love is the sacrifice. So why then did Jesus have to give a terminal sacrifice? Well, the Bible says in the book of Romans that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? So man fell short of who God was. In Romans, the writer continues and he says, and the wages of sin, so what's owing, right? The wages, what's owed to sin. He says the wages of sin is death. And so because humankind decided to reject the love of God and fall short of who he was, what was owed to us was death. That's what the Bible says. The wages of sin is death. But then in Corinthians, Paul writes this, Paul says that God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be the sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, right? And so we sinned, what was owed to us was death, but Jesus came, right, to be sin for us, he came to be death for us. And so that's why Jesus took this terminal, what seemed like a terminal sacrifice. The only way that we can get to God, right, into God's tabernacle, is because Jesus fulfilled the requirements to get in. There's two words that describe why God needed a sacrificial fulfillment. And uh, the, the two words are this. The first word is called expiation. Everyone say expiation. Second word is called propitiation. Everyone say propitiation. Here's some Bible college for you. Expiation means this. Expiation means to appease... By sacrifice, right? To appease by sacrifice. It's the act that makes amends for a wrong. It's why if an organisation does something really, really bad, the CEO steps down, right? That's called expiation. He stands down, something went really wrong, I'll take it. You know, the sacrifice is that I'm going to lose my job so that the company can restart again. That was the thing. It's why we discipline our kids. It's expiation, right? There is a punishment or a discipline for what was wrong. It's why we put people in jail, right? To, to say, listen, you did something really bad in our community and, and because of your action, there's now a consequence. There's a wage. There's something owing to your decision. That's called expiation. Jesus fulfills the expiation of our sin through the process of the cross, right? The wages of sin was death. Something had to die. And so Jesus fulfills that expiation. Through the expiation is to be set free through the sacrifice of punishment. Now, propitiation is almost the same thing, but it deals with the concept of God's wrath. Now, 
It's hard to preach an angry God sometimes, right? It's hard to get up here and talk about that God does hate things. It's hard to preach about the wrath of God. But you need to know this morning, actually we sung about it this morning, right? God is a wrathful God. Let me say this, God does hate. God hates sin, right? God has wrath toward sin. God is a jealous God, it says it in the Bible. God can't stand anything that takes his creation's um, focus off him. Whenever we become distracted on something else other than God, he hates that. Because here's the thing, he made the first move to love you. God loves you. And so the God that we have has a genuine wrath towards sin. In 1 John 2, 2, it says this, he himself, that being Jesus, is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. Three words there, sacrifice that atones. In the original, it's just one word, propitiation, right? Which means this, that Jesus is He's the sacrifice that's needed to take on the wrath of God. And not only our sins, but it says this, but the sins of the world. And so when Jesus goes to the cross, he's not just fulfilling the expiation of sin, right? So what was, uh, I guess, the punishment of it, the wage of it, but he's fulfilling the propitiation of God's anger. Because of love, Jesus risks everything So that our disconnection from God through our own sin can be rectified. And through Jesus, he takes our death and takes God's anger. That's what propitiation is. And that's why Jesus needed to die. That's why the Bible says that with his own blood. Not the constant blood of goats and the calves and killing things. But just one death, once and for all, covers all sin. And it now allows us to connect with God. In the end, Jesus redeems us. Jesus secures redemption. That's the last thing in the scripture that I want to look at this morning. What does it mean when the Bible says that he has secured redemption? First thing is this. Tabernacle, it shows us where we stand with God. We now stand with God. Jesus, he's our sacrifice. The last thing is redemption. The word redemption is found a lot in the New Testament and through Scripture. Um, Because the word redemption um, was used a lot in the world of the New Testament. It was used a lot in the Roman Empire where the New Testament was written. The word redeem um, was used a lot in the marketplace, in the marketplace of human trafficking. In the Roman Empire, it was littered with slavery. Um, At the height of the empire, there was about 60 million people in the Roman Empire. Of that 60 million people, 20 million of them were slaves. So one third of the New Testament world were slaves. So when the original writers saw this, that Jesus has secured our redemption, they knew exactly what this word meant. Because every time they went to the marketplace and people were selling people, they would hear this word sometimes. What this word meant was this. To redeem means to buy back or to repurchase. That's what the word means. The idea was this. 
If, if a slave was to hear the word redemption, this was like, I just won the lotto. This was like the greatest, this was the most beautiful word that you could hear as a, as, as, as a slave. Because what the word redemption meant this, a master would come along with money and they would choose someone to buy. And if they said that I want to redeem that person there or that slave, what it meant was this, that I'm going to pay the slave driver whatever the cost is for that person. But then what I'm going to do is I'm going to give that person back their freedom. That's what the word redeemed means. It means to go to the slave master, pay the cost, and then whatever you bought, give freedom back to that thing. In Romans, it says that we're no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. You guys got to know that humanity is a slave to anything that separates it from God. We have been ever since that one time in the garden where the two people separated themselves from God. Ever since then, we've been a slave to those things and there's been a slave driver. But when you say yes to Jesus, we're participating in Jesus being our payment for that freedom. My wife loves going to markets. I don't because it means that I'm losing money, right? But she loves going to markets. And when she goes to the markets, you know, she loves looking through all the secondhand junk. She likes looking at secondhand clothes and secondhand shoes and weird little knickknacks and all kinds of trinket accessories that I think that we're just going to throw out in a couple months' time, right? But all these things are that she loves buying were discarded by somebody else. Somebody else thought they were trash, and so they're just getting rid of them now, right? But when my wife comes into the situation, she likes to buy these things, right, and bring life back into something that was cast away. She repurchases it. She buys it back. She would, what we call, redeem it. You need to understand that Jesus did that exact same thing. When Jesus went to the cross, He was redeeming us. He was walking into the marketplace of your heart and he went up to the, to, to the slave driver. He went up to those things that just kind of hold you down. He went up to those things that remind you about how bad your past was. Jesus went up into the marketplace and he spoke to those things that just keep you rooted to one spot, that don't allow you to move forward, that don't allow you to think good about yourself. Jesus went up to those slave drivers that say, hey, you're gonna be anxious for the rest of your life. Hey, you're in a stressful situation right now. Hey, you're not going to ever get out of this problem. Jesus went up to those slave drivers and He said this. He said, how much would it cost me to give the freedom back to this person? And the slave driver said to Jesus this. The slave driver said, Jesus, it will cost you everything. It will cost you your life. I'm glad this morning that we have Good Friday. Because Good Friday is the day where Jesus said, you know what, I'm willing to pay it. I'm going to give, even if this person rejects the freedom I give, I'm still going to pay it. And Jesus says yes to the slave driver. And he says, deal. You need to know that Jesus has redeemed you. That Jesus has given you value. Jesus has given you purpose. Jesus has given you new life. Jesus has given you hope. You need to know this morning that the sacrifice to stand in God's presence has been settled. 
the sacrifice, Jesus' life, to stand in the tabernacle of God where God lives has been settled. It's been paid. He's redeemed you. At any moment of any day, you can say yes to God and you can have God in your life. This morning, maybe you're here and maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. I'd love just for a moment right now just to give an opportunity to say yes. Jesus risked it all when he first said, I love you and gave his life. And Maybe you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus. I would love to just pray for you. Maybe just while we close our eyes, even just right now, if that's you this morning, if you're saying, Pastor Tim, pray for me. You can just give me a quick wave just so I know who I'm praying for. You want to say yes to Jesus this morning. Anyone here today? Saying, Tim, pray for me. I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to say yes to what he did for me. Yes for giving me access to God. Anyone here this morning? Let me pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you for who Jesus is. And I thank you that we get to have access to who God is. And right now, Lord, I just pray that you would remind us every single day that we don't have to turn to ourselves, but... We can turn to you and have connection with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast.